Welcome to the All People's Church Sunday podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more messages and resources, please visit allpeoples.com or download our free All People's Church app. I heard a funny one this week. An elderly woman came to church one day and told the lead usher that she wanted to sit on the front row. And the usher said, ma'am, you don't want to do that. Our pastor is very boring. He'll put you right to sleep. Please let me seat you somewhere else. She looked at him indignantly, said, sir, do you know who I am? He said, "Uh, no, ma'am, I I don't. She goes, I am the pastor's mother. (laughs) He hung his head in embarrassment, finally looks up and says, ma'am, do you know who I am? She said, no, I don't. He goes, thank God. We're in a series entitled, With Jesus, Our Desire is to Walk with Him. Our desire is to know Him. Our desire is to be friends with Him. And as we're studying the Gospels, we make note of three different types of encounters people have with the Lord Jesus. The first, I would say, are encounters on the road. Their encounters on the road. Jesus is going one place. Someone else is going another place, and their paths intersect. Maybe a good example would be the woman at the well in John chapter 4. Jesus is tired, thirsty, sits down at a well. A woman comes to draw water. Boom, there's a God encounter. Second type of encounter are ones where people actually came to Jesus asking for something. They came needing a healing. They came needing deliverance. I think of a Syrophoenician woman who comes to Jesus with her daughter. My, my daughter's afflicted with this demon. Can you help her? I think of the blind man coming to Jesus saying, I need healing. But the third type of encounter fascinates me because it's different than the other two. It's actually where Jesus intentionally sets out to visit someone. It's where Jesus actually makes a decision to go towards someone. And those are the ones that I want to talk about today because I want to be the kind of person that Jesus actually intentionally visits. Did you ever uh, visit someone as a child? Maybe your family went to to pay a visit to someone else. You know, we we didn't do this a ton as, as a family. My dad Worked very hard, he didn't have much time off. And so that holiday time, that vacation time was precious to us. But there were two families that every once in a while we'd go and visit. One lived in Tennessee. They were Dave and Charlene Ottinger. The other was Reagan and Susan Stinnett in New Mexico. And it was a big deal if we were gonna take our precious vacation time and go and visit a family. And you know, it's interesting, I I was thinking about the characteristics of those two families. They were very different. Dave and Charlene. David was a a pharmacist from our our little town. Uh, Reagan was actually a a, a rocket scientist. But these these people had a couple things in common, these families. Number one was they were very intentional. They were very intentional when we came to visit them. They, They made us feel like a million bucks. They didn't just talk to my parents. They actually really drew out my sisters and myself. They also were people who served. I, you know, Dave, the pharmacist, man, he was always helping so many people in our city. Reagan, as a rocket scientist, he made so much time to, to 
do Sunday school, to teach Sunday school, and to, to bless missionaries. And, you know, I think it was these types of characteristics in these families that actually made my, my family and my parents say, you know, we want to go spend time with these people. I want to look at a story this morning of a person that Jesus went to visit. We find that in Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 1. Luke 7, starting in verse 1. It says, when Jesus had finished saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. There a centurion's servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded, pleaded earnestly with him, this man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and he's built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent some friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That's why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes. And this one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. I want to give you some characteristics today. I encourage you to take notes of the type of person that Jesus visits. The type of person that Jesus visits. We begin by looking in verse 2. It says, they're a centurion a centurion's servant whom his master valued highly. And I want to just stop with there, a centurion, and then drop the apostrophe S for a second because this story is actually about this centurion. What's a centurion? A centurion, first of all, was a Roman. You got to understand at the time we're, we're talking about a story that happened in Israel, but there was a foreign military force, the Romans, that had come in and conquered Israel. And so this story is about a soldier. Any soldiers in the house today? Any soldiers, men and women? You have different ones raising their hand. We always have numerous soldiers. We're very thankful for you. This story is about a soldier, and a centurion was actually a commander, had authority over somewhere between 80 to 200, and the exception would have been like 1,000 soldiers. And here's something that we want to make note of today. Who's the type of person that Jesus visits? It's a person in any type of work. A person in any type of work. Here's why I I make note of that. Because at times, especially in a larger church like ours where there's numerous pastors and we're sending missionaries across the world, we can put ourselves in a different category and say, you know what, I'm not a pastor, I'm not a missionary, I'm a a very practical person, I'm a soldier, or I'm a school teacher, I'm a janitor, I I do this with my hands, I'm a practical person, I'm not the type of person that's spiritual and he's going to have an encounter with Jesus. Can I just say that's a wrong way of thinking? That's a wrong way of thinking. In this story, it's a soldier that Jesus encounters. You you think about who Jesus chose to be his closest followers. What were they? They're fishermen, tax collector. Paul, the, the one who had become the greatest apostle, he was a tent maker. Jesus himself, he was a carpenter. 
Can I just tell you that, that God visits, see, Jesus loves to visit a person in any type of work, as long as it's legal. Uh, and actually, he'll even visit people in illegal work, right? He, he visited prostitutes. He visited, he visited crooks and, thie and thieves. It's just he doesn't leave you in that illegal work. So, but he loves to, to visit a person in any type of work. And we go on learning more about it. It says, this centurion's servant whom his master valued highly. Here's the type of person that Jesus loves to visit, a person who values people. A person who values people. Ask yourself today, do you value people? Right? We, we, we value so many different things, and that's okay. God has made us all different. We, we have different likes. We have different passions. It's amazing how many passions people have, right? This fascinates me. You know, always during like the Super Bowl, which is just amazing, there's the Puppy Bowl. So I, that means that there's actually people that instead of watching the Super Bowl, they watch puppies, like, roll around. I don't get it, but that's okay, because God made people with different passions. You know, and it's all, always, I always notice also during, like, the greatest sporting events, there's always figure skating. And, and, and I'm always, like, through the years, the women that I'm sitting with, they always, oh, stop on figure skating. I'm like, no, I can't do that, you know what? But that's okay, because God gives us different passions. But can I just tell you, there should be no greater passion or nothing you value more than people. The only thing that Jesus valued more than people was his Father. The greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Do you love people? Do you value people? We, in America, we can value so many other things. We can value comfort. We can value entertainment. We can value our coffee. We can, we can value our pastimes, but we should never put anything before people. Let me just ask you this question. If we put a GoPro on your head this week and, and filmed your week, would we come up with the, the understanding that you put people over every other thing? Conviction fell over the crowd. Do we value people? This centurion valued people. You know, even churches, we can, we can value things over people. One of my favorite stories from the Jesus movement, and that was just a great turning to the Lord here in Southern California that spread across the nation, was a story of all these hippies starting to pour into Calvary Chapel, this, this little building up in Costa Mesa, and Chuck Smith was the pastor, and a lot of the church people, people that have been in church for years, came and they started bickering. These hippies, they're destroying our church. They said they're coming in, they're not wearing shoes, and they haven't washed their feet, and they're dirtying the carpets. And they said, and they stink, and they're sitting on our pews, and our pews, pew, right? And <laughs> I couldn't resist that one. Uh, and you know what he says? He says, then let's just tear up the carpet. And let's take out the pews, right? Some of you right now are saying, please tear out these hard chairs. <laughs> we can't. This isn't our building. But, but his point was this, that a church and a church building is for people, not people for a church building, right? And we never want to put something of higher value than the people 
themselves. Do, do you love people? I want to tell you, I haven't always been as passionate. Do, do you love the lost? I want to tell you, I'm a pastor, but I didn't grow up with this passion for the lost, but I started understanding that this is God's heart. So I started praying, God, I don't have the same heart for people as you do. I don't have the same heart for the lost as you do. So I started laying hands on my heart and saying, God, break my heart for the lost. I remember after praying this for a short time, I walked into a Walmart and I looked and just saw a sea of, of humanity and tears start coming from my eyes. And I, I feel this pain in my heart. And I thought, what is going on with me? All of a sudden I realized, you know, I've been praying for a broken heart for the lost. And it's happening. Just say this, break my heart for the lost, Lord. Say, break my heart for the lost, Lord. Ha ha, I got gotcha. you. Because if we pray anything in accordance with his will... We know that we have what we ask for. God wants your heart to be broken for people. The centurion's heart was broken for people. Here's the next point, the type of person Jesus visits, a person who asks him to come. A person that asks Jesus to come. I, I make note of these stories of where Jesus would visit people in their homes. He went to the home of Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. He went to the home of Matthew, the tax collector. He went to the home of Simon, the Pharisee. What do those stories have in common? They were people that were inviting Jesus in. He went to a wedding. Why did he go? Because he was invited. Jesus loves to go where he's invited. What's one way you can get Jesus to show up in your life? Invite him. That's one of the reasons we encourage you every day, wake up and have FaceTime. Wake up and spend a little time in the Word and some time in prayer. Why? Because you're inviting Him into your life. He's a gentleman. He loves to go where he's invited. He's a, he's a gentleman most of the time. <laughs> every once in a while, he just decides, I'm coming in. Enough, right? He did that to Saul on the road, right? He said, I'm stepping in there, Saul. A person who asks Jesus to come. Or, here's another interesting point on that or who has friends that ask him to come. So did you notice that? These Jews go and plead for Jesus to come. This is just a crazy thought. This is a Roman. This is the, the hated ruling class by the Jews. They come in and squash the Jews. They come in and killed the Jews. They had taken over, and yet you have these Jews saying, Jesus, please come help this Roman soldier. I mean, he's even a soldier. Let me ask you today. Do you have friends that advocate for you, that plead for you on your behalf before God? Let me just tell you, you want that. I know what it's like to be sick. I was in and out of the hospital for two years with a near-fatal heart condition. I am so thankful that, plead, that people pleaded for my healing before God. I eventually got healed. I'm so thankful. I believe it was an answer to their prayers. You know, I, I know what it's like to be persecuted, for people to come after me, and I'm so thankful that I had friends that went and prayed for me. I remember some friends coming and saying, Robert, I know this is a hard time. I'm standing with you, and I'm praying for you. I know what it's like to get really discouraged, to, to deal with, with just discouragement and downtroddenness, to wake up every day and just feel so overwhelmed with defeat. And I'm so thankful that I've had friends that have contended for me and said, Robert, we're lifting you up every day. That means so much to me. I, I was thinking about a couple weeks ago, I, I got a, a, a life group email 
And, and I was reading it, and, and my life group sits in the 9 o'clock service on this third row. They were all here in that last service, and, and one of the ones that was here had sent an email. It was very vulnerable about what they needed prayer for. And I thought, that's amazing. Why would they be so vulnerable with our whole group? You know why? Because they knew that the group wouldn't take the information and just start a gossip train. They knew instead that that group would get on their knees and pray. You know, if you're thinking today, hey, I don't know if I have those kind of friends. Let me ask you, are you a part of a life group? Are you a part of a small group? Because that's what these groups are all about. They're all about being the people that plead to Jesus on your behalf for him to step into your situation. One of the things we do at the end of our life group, when someone's in a, in a particular place of need or pain or suffering, we'll often throw them, not throw them, we'll place them in the center. You're like, wow, that's an aggressive life group. No, we, we have them sit in the center and we all gather around and pray for them. We do that many times. And you know how amazingly uplifting that is when people are pleading with God on your behalf. You know, that's what God's desire is for every person in this church. Right? Don't miss the benefits of following Jesus as a Christian. One of the benefits is having a family around you and having people that pull you along in your weakness. And then you'll do that for others. So that was the kind of person this Pharisee was. Verse 4 continues. They, they, the Jews say, this man deserves to have you do this. So they're saying to Jesus, hey, this man deserves for you to come to his house. Let me just ask, does anyone deserve for Jesus to come and visit? No, they were wrong. We deserve to pay for our sin. We, we actually deserve to go to hell. Do you know that? You deserve to go to hell. Look at your neighbor. And tell, just kidding. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, that, but that is the truth of Scripture. The Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're all sinners. Every single one of us. The, the sweetest praying grandma in here is still a sinner. You're like, oh, it's so sad. It's true. <laughs> Get over it, right? But, but she's saved by the grace of God. That's the good news of the gospel. We don't save ourselves. And so don't get confused in this message that I'm talking about earning your salvation or earning your love. That's not what I'm talking about. The love of God is free. I love my children because they are mine. They're not trying to earn my love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. The good news of the gospel is this, that in our sin, God sent his son Jesus, who lived a sinless life, but died in our place. When he was nailed to that cross, he was paying for your and my sins. He died to pay the punishment for your sins. He rose from the dead, defeating the power of sin and death, so that you could be reconciled to God. And so that you could spend eternity with God in paradise. That's the good news of the gospel. So no, he didn't deserve to be visited. No one deserves it, but God is good and God is love. And it's by grace that we've been saved, through faith, not by our works, so that anyone could boast. So I'm not talking about works today as I'm preaching this message. He goes on to say this, because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. 
What we're talking about is favor, right? You, you can't earn God's love. He gives it to you graciously. But the Bible does say this, even about Jesus in Luke 2.52. He grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. He grew in favor. You know, when I, when I have a child, I love all my children. I love them. I'm not going to love them anymore. But can I tell you, the one that, that serves and honors, the, the kid that protects his brothers and sisters, the kid that's actually looking towards the family business, that one has favor, and I give them more and more responsibility, and I give them more and more resources. Why? Because they are advancing our family. Do you understand that? So that's what we're talking about. So because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. He loved the people of God. Let me ask you, do you love the people of God? I talked about do you care and value people. Now, do you love the people of God? The Bible says that we should do anything possible for those in the family of God. Do you love the family of God? Do you love the church? Oh, I love the church. I didn't always love the church, but I love the church. Do you know that Jesus says, when you serve the church, you're serving me? Mm, you didn't look too convinced. Um, so let me say it this way. Saul is on the road to Damascus, and all of a sudden he gets struck. He gets knocked down, he's blinded, and Jesus says to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute the church? No. He said, why are you persecuting me? Now, was Saul persecuting Jesus? Jesus was already up in heaven. What was he doing? He was going and persecuting the church. And Jesus said, when you persecute the church, you persecute me. Jesus was saying, that is me and the church, we are one. Now look at this. Look at the flip side on the positive side. Hebrews 6.10 says this, God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. Do you know that when you're blessing the church, when you're loving the church, God accredits that as loving him? I don't know if you believe that. So, some of you, you're, you're, you're like, I don't want to go and help the children in church. I can barely take me with my children all week. I don't want to get thrown up on and snotty and Cheerios ground into my clothes, right? And Jesus say, no, when you're serving them, you are loving me. Like, I don't want to pass out bulletins. I want to get paper cuts. Jesus is saying, <laughs> when you're blessing the church, when you're praying for the church, when you're giving of your resources, your love, your talents, your time, you're honoring me. Wow. I want to be that kind of person. I want to be that kind of person that ministers to the heart of Jesus. You know, uh, in, in this context, he was actually talking, and he said, you, he loves our nation, and he even built our synagogue. Let me say that the, the people of God, the, the church is God's people. The Jewish people are God's people. Do you love the, the Jewish people? Deuteronomy 7, 6, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. This is speaking to the, the chosen uh, people of Israel, the Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. Why were, the, why were the Jewish people the chosen people of God? Well, that's who God chose to give his word through, right? He gave his, the law through Moses. He gave the prophetic books to the prophets. 
the Bible was written through Jewish hands. They brought forth the Messiah through the Jewish people. He has enacted his plan in history through these people. And so we want to bless. The Bible says this, Psalm 122, 6 says this, Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper, those who love you. Right? So we want to be a people. Why do I say this? Because there is a lot of hate towards the Jewish people and towards Israel in our world. Why? Because they were the chosen people of God. Of course the world's going to hate them. So we want to bless them. We want to honor. We want to pray as we want to pray. The Bible says this, and my house will be called a house of prayer for all peoples. And we want to pray for all peoples and for all nations. Do you love the people of God? It says this, verse 6, so Jesus went with them. That's cool. So Jesus actually starts heading towards the centurion's house. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. Who's the type of person that the Lord loves to visit? A person of humility. A humble person. You know, one of the most unattractive things is a prideful Christian. But one of the most attractive things is a humble Christ follower. When we see Jesus for who he really is, we can't help but be humbled. Right? When, when I am in the presence of perfection, I come to grasp my imperfection. Let me explain it this way. In, in high school, I was a singer. Okay? So I was in, in musicals, and I thought I was awesome. I, I played Tony in West Side Story. I was like, Maria! And <clears throat> compared to people in my high school, I thought, man, I am a great singer. I, man, my name is going to be up in lights. I get to college, and I, I, I uh, get asked to be in this musical by uh, an award-winning, a Dove Award-winning musical producer, and he brought in recording artists. And they sang, and then I sang. And, and I remember him actually calling me into his office, and he goes, Robert, have you heard how these people singing? And I'm like, yeah, it's amazing. And he played how the song was supposed to sound. And then he goes, now, Robert, I want you to sing the song again. And he put a recorder in my, in my hand, like this tape recorder to record me. And I sang. And he goes, do you hear how that's different? <laughs> I have never thought that I was a great singer again from that moment. Why? Because when you are around perfection, you become aware of your imperfection. And if you're dealing with pride, I want to encourage you today to look at Jesus, and your pride will go out the door. And that's what the centurion did. The Bible says this, that God opposes the proud, but he actually gives grace, that he uplifts the humble. You want to be a person that Jesus can't resist visiting? Humble yourself. I pray in the mornings, Lord, I, I, I intentionally humble myself. You know, I, I would rather actually humble myself than pray that the Lord humbles me. <laughs> Some of you got that right there. I would just go ahead and start humbling yourself so the Lord doesn't have to humble you. Right? Because God resists the proud. Watch this next part. 
He says, but say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one go and he goes and that one come and he comes. I say to my servant, do this and he does that. This centurion understood authority. He understood authority. He understood as a Roman commander, I have a general over me and I have the, the Roman Empire over me. And so when I say something, I'm backed by the Roman Empire. So what I say happens. I tell a soldier to go, and they go, yes, sir, I'm going. So he understood General Jesus, General Jesus of God's army of the kingdom of God. When he says something, it's going to happen. Do you believe in the authority of Jesus? And then let me ask you this. Are you under the authority of Jesus? Because there's a lot of Christians who have made Jesus their Savior, but a lot less that have made him their Lord. Do you understand that there's a difference? Oh, Jesus, I need you to save me. I've been a big sinner. I need you to give me some fire insurance so I don't go to hell. There's a big difference between saying, Jesus, you are my Lord. What you say, I will do. Where you lead me, I will follow. There's a big difference. Have you put yourself, if we were to look at your life, would we say that person is submitted to the lordship of Jesus? Can I tell you that's the best place to be? It's the place of blessing. It's the place of protection. It's the place of wisdom. Let me ask you this. Have you placed yourself under God's delegated authority? Years ago, my wife and I decided we're not just going to go do things on our own. We're not just going to do things our way, right? That's a big deal in America. I did it my way, right? <laughs> That's not a kingdom song, right? That's a, a flesh song, right? That's a, that's a spirit of man song, right? Have you, have you put yourself under? Years ago, we decided that. And so, do you know, as a pastor of a church, I have a pastor. I have chosen to have a pastor. Why? Because I want someone who shepherds my heart and who is praying for me and who cares about my protection and gives me wisdom. Do you know the people I see that are the most successful in the kingdom of God are always people who have a covering? Why? Because that keeps them from going and doing something stupid, right? And it, it gives them blessing and protection. Let me just explain it this way. My kids receive a lot of blessing by staying under my authority. Let me just tell you this. My kids live in a lot nicer house than they could ever have by staying with me. I mean, they could go out on their own, but man, the best they'd have is like a little Snoopy tent or, you know... A, a, a little tree house it's all you know put together but by staying with me they are protected you get what i'm saying my kids receive so much more blessing by by staying with me last night steph came in and said robert i want you to taste this food i've made a roux i was like what is a roux how did i get so blessed i have a wife that knows how to make a ruse right i mean she came in up I, I you know i tasted it and then I sit down, and we have this, like, ravioli with spinach in it and this chicken with a roux, and it was amazing. You know, and my kids, they got to eat it. 
And they could have said, no, I reject your authority. I'm out on my own. They'd be on the side of a road with a little stick and a little hobo handkerchief pouch with some hot dogs in it. That's the best they could do. But because they have chosen to stay under our authority, they are so blessed. Let me just ask you, do you place yourself under godly shepherding for your protection, your blessing, for prayers and support? I have chosen to do that. Our church has chosen to do that. We have a board over us to cover us, to protect us, and I'm so thankful for that. Watch what Jesus says, though, in verse 9. It says, when Jesus heard this, when, when he gave this diatribe on authority, it says, when Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith in Israel. Do you see that? Jesus was amazed. Like, I, I think it takes a lot to amaze Jesus. I mean, think about it. He was there the day that the sun was created, like that big ball of fire in the sky. Like he was there, and he created the universe. And like in a moment, he said, watch this, I'm going to part a seat. I think it takes a lot to amaze Jesus, right? And here, this little pipsqueak Roman soldier amazes him. Like that, that is amazing. I'm amazed that Jesus was amazed. <laughs> Do you know that you can amaze Jesus? I, I want to lead a church that amazes Jesus. How cool would that be? That Jesus is looking down and he goes, all people's church, those people there, they amaze me. Because they so believe in my authority. They so believe that I'm going to do what I say I'm going to do. They have such great faith. Like, no one would have picked a Roman soldier to be the one that outshined everyone in Israel by their faith. He wasn't even a Jew. He, other people, these, these guys had grown up reading the scripture every day. And this Roman soldier, I doubt he had ever even looked at the scripture. He wasn't in the synagogue. He wasn't doing all these things and growing up in Pharisee school and but the Roman soldier amazes him. Do you know your simple faith can amaze Jesus? Do you know that your simple faith is irresistible to Jesus? Choose simple faith. And where you lack faith, ask for more. Ask for more faith. Ask for it. We want to be that kind of church. And we end with this, verse 10. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. What happened in the end? The centurion got the miracle he was asking for. He received the miracle he was asking for. You know, a byproduct of Jesus visiting is that he has the answer to every question. A byproduct to Jesus visiting your house is he has healing for the hurts. You know, a byproduct of Jesus visiting is he has freedom in the midst of your addiction. He got the miracle that he was so desperately needing. Why don't we stand up? And when you do that, would you just close your eyes? I don't think you'd be here today if it wasn't in your heart to meet with Jesus. And if you close your eyes right now, this is always the most important time 
of our sermon because it's where you respond to him. And here's how I want you to respond. I want you to think through these different points. First of all, you can ask yourself, am I a person who, who actually wants Jesus to visit or am I just doing my own thing? Maybe you're not there today. Why don't you just put your hand on your heart and say, Jesus, change me so that I'd actually want you to visit. Maybe some men here might say, you know, I was convicted when you were talking about what you value because I really value money or I value comfort or I value my hobby more than I value people. And you could just say, Jesus, change my heart. Break my heart to love people. And speaking to people, maybe you realize, you know, I don't really love the church and I don't really give my life to serve Christ's body. And he says, when you do that, you're actually serving me. And so you can just pray today and say, God, change my heart to, to love your people. Or maybe you know, hey, I've been walking in pride. I've been thinking I can do it, and you need to just humble yourself today. Or maybe you realize, I don't really have great faith. I have these problems. I have these financial problems in front of me. I don't have faith that Jesus is going to help me through. Or maybe you have a physical sickness, and you're like, I don't have faith. Why don't you ask for faith right now? Just encourage you to do business with God right now. And a group I want to speak to right now are you that are in here that say, you know what, I don't know if I really have a relationship with Jesus. I might have heard about him. I might have been in church before. But I don't know that he saved me, and I don't know if he's living in my heart. If that's you today and you say, Robert, I'd like to invite him into my heart. I want you to pray with me right now from the sincerity of your heart. Just pray this. Say, Jesus, come into my heart. I make you my Savior and Lord. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for rising from the dead for me. And I will follow you forever. Thank you for saving me. And while everyone just has their eyes closed, their heads bowed, I want to pray for those that say, today, Robert, I'm asking Jesus to come into my life. I'm not going to embarrass you, but I do want to pray a prayer of blessing over you. So while everyone has their eyes closed, if that's you, you say, yeah, today I'm making the decision to give Jesus my life. I'm asking him to come in. Just look up at me and wave all over this room. Just right now, just wave at me. Awesome. Who else? Just wave at me. Just look up at me and wave at me. Who is that? Who else is that? Awesome. I saw you. Who else? Just look up at me. Make eye contact and just wave. I'm not pointing you out, but I want to pray for you. You say, include me in that prayer, Pastor. Who else is that today? Great, great, great. Who else? All over this room. I just want to take a minute more. You know that that's you. Your heart's burning. You say, yeah, I've got to ask Jesus into my heart today. Who else is that? Just look up at me. Awesome. I see you. Anyone else? Anyone else? one more minute. Anyone else to say, yeah, my heart's burning. I've got to ask Jesus. Okay, I see you back there. Lord, we thank you for these ones that are inviting you into their life today. We thank you that as far as the east is from the west, that's how far you're removing their sins from them. You're no longer going to count it against them. So we celebrate that you are placing your Holy Spirit in their hearts today and they are being made anew and they never have to question if they're going to be separated from you in hell. As they choose you, they put their faith in you to be their Savior and their Lord. Let's just thank God for what he's doing, church. Thank you.